0: Remote engineering work makes some elements of software development harder and some elements easier. With Slack and email, communication becomes more clear-cut. Project management tools lay out the responsibilities and deliverables of each person. GitHub centralizes and defines the roles of developers. There's a lot of tooling to support remote teamwork. On the other hand, remote work subtracts the role of nuanced conversation. There's no water cooler or break room. Work can become systematic and rigid and completely transactional. Your coworkers are your allies, but they feel less like friends when you don't see them every day. And for some people, this can have a devastating long term impact on the human psyche. Managers have the responsibility of ensuring the health and productivity of the people that work with them. Managing an all remote team includes a different set of challenges than an in-person team. Ryan Chartrand is the CEO of X-Team, a team of developers who work across the world and collaborate with each other remotely. X-Team partners with large companies who need additional development work. Ryan joins the show to talk about the dynamics of leading a large remote workforce, as well as his own personal experiences working remotely. Also, full disclosure, X-Team is a sponsor of Software Engineering Daily, and I also want to mention that we are looking for show ideas. If you have a topic or a speaker that you're interested in hearing more about, send me an email, jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com. We're always looking for new, cool show ideas. And you can also tweet at us at software daily. We'd love to hear from you. Ryan Chartrand, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hey, awesome to be here. I've been working remotely for almost five years, and there are a lot of things that I enjoy about working remotely, but over time I've developed a sense that I've moved far away from human norms, and I can go an entire week without interacting with many people in person. In some ways, this is just great. I, I, I love interacting on the internet, but... When it comes to remote work, do you think there's anything fundamentally wrong about people working in such isolating physical conditions?
1: Yeah, I don't know that there's anything fundamentally wrong necessarily as as so much as it is just not healthy. You know, I think the goal really is about balance, right? Not to become hermits. You can see actually the extreme version of this happening in Japan right now. There's actually people who haven't left their houses in a decade. And, you know, there's a half a million of them. It's crazy. And and things things can easily head in that direction. You know, we got Uber Eats and I'm sure you're using things like Postmates and Amazon Fresh and just Amazon for everything. You know, it's very easy to never sort of have to leave your house or or like you said, have that that human interaction, thanks to especially remote work. And I think freedom is a beautiful thing, but it can also be a dangerous one, right? Because the irony is that once you gain all of this unlimited freedom. You can work from anywhere. You can stay home. You're kind of more likely to trap yourself in, in, in sort of a, a home dungeon, so to speak. And I like to say, like, you're essentially a blob that's going back and forth from your bathroom to your desk all day. And so you would think that you'd be capitalizing on that freedom and, and living a more energizing and, and healthy life, but it can kind of go the opposite direction. But that's really where team comes in. That's what our entire purpose as a company has been all about. It's what we've spent the last decade trying to solve because of, of how important that is. Our, our community is really designed to help motivate people to escape that home dungeon, to, to actually get out more, to walk more. We actually do, tomorrow, we do these Thursday events and there are always these big competitions and we're doing one where, you know, you get 24 hours to rack up as, as many steps on your step tracker as possible and, and, and you form teams and all this stuff. So we, we try to get people moving, getting them outside. We inspire people to do new things. We have this whole challenges system uh, we call it bounties and, and they motivate you to sort of keep learning, exploring, getting out, growing. You know, think challenges like um, maybe hike to the, the highest peak in your in your city or or try out a new restaurant or or go to an arcade you've never been to. So if, if you do one of those bounties, then you get rewarded with with these collectibles that we've made. Shirts and hats and, you know, super comfy work-from-home clothes, which are, are really cool. You, you can even donate to charities if you prefer, and, and we'll sponsor pretty much whatever you need to help you get out, to help you get up, whether that's, you know, a gym membership, uh, movie tickets, you know, maybe a weekend getaway to just give you that extra encouragement. Maybe a babysitter and a, and a pet sitter if you need that. Adventure sports, I mean, We'll even help you sponsor your own event. So let's let's say your excuse is, well, there's there's no one in my town that, that really fits my personality and my interests. I can't find a meetup group or whatever. Well, we'll help you sponsor your own event and pull those people out of their home dungeons too. And so we're, we try to make it so basically that there's absolutely no excuse for someone to be lonely, to be isolated, to to not feel energized. And I also try to look at this as sort of a positive situation because think about it, you know, With an office, you're forced to socialize with a very specific set of people, right? Every day, eight hours a day, same people at the water cooler, same people at lunch indefinitely. And and that's a lot of time you're, you're spending with people that you may or may not get any value out of socially. But with remote, you get to define who your people are. You know. You, you actually get to define who you will spend your social time with. The office gave you that one group, but remote gives you the chance to find the right group. And I think that's a, that's a huge opportunity. You know, I see this all the time in X-Team. X-Teamers are going out to meetups and they're having time to hang out with the people who really energize them the most, who understand them the most, who they don't feel like they're just small talking with, they're really deeply connecting with. And they end up actually with a far more diverse sort of group of, of human beings that they get to interact with every day because of that. So I think really the answer to your question is that there's nothing exactly wrong with living a life of, of minimal human interaction, but I think it's simply a matter of why not capitalize on the freedom that you have to, to escape your dungeon, to surround yourself with the people who energize you the most. I think anyone remote should be waking up each day with that goal in mind. How, not, not, how can I live isolated today, but how can I capitalize on today and, and surround myself with awesome people?
0: So those examples that you gave doing meetup groups, that kind of thing, that is a nice salve for some of the, some of the loneliness we might have. Is there anything that we miss when we don't have this kind of daily routine interaction with a social group that that is not, well, I don't know, I suppose even the office does feel somewhat contrived or you know, maybe a church group and maybe an athletic group. Maybe these things are all contrived. Maybe these are, I don't know, it's it's just it's just something i'm I'm trying to think through as I'm personally trying to institute more, Uh, a natural sense of socialization in my life. Do you encourage people to do, you know, other, other things like, uh, you know, athletic groups or what are some other aspects of, of social adaptation you can encourage in the, uh, the employee base that you work with?
1: Yeah, I think contrived is a good word. You want to avoid the most (laughs) contrived scenarios where you feel like uh, you're, you're being summoned to something that, that, feels very too organized, right? And so we actually have uh, another one of the challenges going on right now is to join a running group and, and go on go on one of those sort of adventures. It's a great way to actually explore your city or maybe a new city that you're going to. Certainly great for nomads as well. So it's, it's trying to find the most natural form of socialization. And, and to your point of what is the inherent benefit to it? It's, it's an energy, I think. And we can talk more about that. But I think there's the biggest thing that you lose post office life is that consistent energy, that, that consistent feeling that other human beings sort of emit when you're around them and, and, and working around them. So that energy you have to replace with something else. And for some people, it's, it's a lot of human interaction. For some, it's minimal. It's really a matter of you finding the right balance and finding the least contrived scenarios in your local community that allow you to get that energy back.
0: We did a show not too long ago with the CEO of GitLab, and that was an interesting show because it exemplified how remote teams function in a way that is starkly different from in-person teams. And you're running a large remote organization as well. What are the most stark differences that you see in how a remote team functions differently from an office team?
1: Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of uh, of differences, and I'm always reminded of them when I go to like a, a team meetup or a, or a, ret- a retreat, and and I realize the differences when the day ends, and I realize how eight hours of constant face to face interaction and working is so exhausting. So, but certainly. You know, remote teams are, they're a different beast. Um, They take all of the challenges of office teams and they just amplify them, right? Empathy, loneliness, poor documentation, all of those just become super amplified and even bigger challenges for remote teams. But I think we all know this. We've heard that all before. I think the main difference that I think we all need to be reminded of is actually the most beautiful thing about remote teams. And that's that at the end of the day, all that matters in a remote team is the value that you add each day because my biggest issue with working in an office team is that there's you know there's just so many other things you have to focus on there's the people around you there's you know the the unnecessary socializing you have to do to gain favor with people there's being judged by, you know, how long you're seen at your desk. What do they call it? Butts and chairs, fingers on keys. You have to worry about what time that you leave and making sure you're there long enough. You don't want to leave before, you know, Tim and you want to make sure you leave a little bit after him. You know, there's people whispering about, you know, how long was Cindy at lunch? There's who got the corner office? Who's getting walked out of the building? Human beings are way too complicated when you make them essentially live together for eight hours a day, five days a week. But none of that matters in a remote team. That's what I love about it. There's no drama. There's, there's no one judging how long you've been online. There's no, there's no corner office. There's, there's none of the gossiping about your coworkers. All that matters and all that you have to focus on is showing up and adding value to your team each day. All that matters is how much you help your team move forward each day. All that matters is how much the company moves forward each day. And that's actually where our, our company tagline comes from, keep moving forward. Because that's really the heart of what I think makes remote teams such a beautiful thing. All that matters and all you have to worry about is that forward progression. Remote teams, they filter out all of the, the politics and the drama that you find more commonly in office teams. And it's, it's just more simple and clean and logical. You know, remote teams are rooted in sort of freedom and, and flexibility. And, and most importantly, they're rooted in making sure that all that matters each day is that everyone's adding value and progressing the mission and the goals of the company it's a beautiful thing and it inspires me actually to do the same with my life you know how can i show up each day in my marriage in my local community in my personal goals how can i add value to those things each day so when everything is sort of centered around adding value i think both life and even running businesses becomes a lot more simple and efficient and effective and so it's it's nice to be reminded of that
0: on a more tactical level or on a more technological level What are the differences in managing an all remote team? Are there particular tools that you use? Are there particular practices you use that are necessities for remote team management that would not be true for a in-person office team?
1: Yeah, I think there's this misconception that remote teams must have all of these super complex and expensive tools in order to recreate the office experience or, or to be as effective as an office. And, and in reality, we, we sort of use, if anything, less tools. You know, We use the same big three. You can get really far with the big threes, uh, Zoom, uh, Slack, and the Google Suite. I mean, you can get really far in, in managing and operating a team. Obviously, there's all sorts of other things you can add on top of that. But there's no really sort of secret tool that, that remote teams are using to be effective. It's, it's really more about the processes. And that's where things get a bit more interesting because now you're introducing things like async communication, right? That, that, that communication method that you're not expecting immediate responses. And with that comes all sorts of different etiquettes and a style of working and, and different ways that you really have to put empathy at the center. And I think that's one of the biggest differences between the office culture and the remote culture is how much priority, you have to put on empathy. Because whether it's communication that you're having to do, the messages that you're sending, you're you're really having to make sure that you're focusing on empathy. Because you can't see each other, you can't interact in person, you you have to be moving forward as a team. And so we build a lot of our processes around empathy, around communication, uh, around documentation, around sharing of information, These are the sorts of values that you see in remote teams that aren't as amplified in the office teams because there's sort of less of a sense of a need for it.
0: There are some companies that have the model of an in-person hub, and then they have several small offices, or they have remote people scattered around the world working remotely. How would you contrast this model with the entirely remote model. What are the advantages and disadvantages of having that kind of hub and spoke model?
1: Yeah, the hub and spoke is interesting. And as it stands today, the way that most companies are doing the hub and spoke, it's it's more weighted on the disadvantages side. Uh, it's not to say that there aren't advantages. There are certainly some advantages. You can get things like cultural diversity. Let's say you have those, those hubs spread out all over the world. That's a good thing. It can mean leveraging time zones. That's a great way to use the hub and spoke. You can get that 24 hour working cycle and coverage, which is great for things like DevOps or or customer support. Uh, It's also, you know, effective if you're trying to break into local markets and having that local presence. That's been uh, something that that we try to take advantage of as well. But most of the ways that businesses are managing the, the hub and spoke model, it really leads to more downsides because to do it well, you need to be overly inclusive. You're, you're distributing essentially tribes mixed with sort of mercenary type solo people around the world. So you need a culture that's really going to be rooted in documentation and, and sharing information with all the teams, because it's it's very easy for the tribes in the offices to just sort of withhold information and and take that tribal mentality. So you also need office people sort of dialing into Zoom calls from their desks. That's a common one, not having them try to do the conference room and everyone's trying to hear what the people in the office in the office are saying. You need the language that you use to be very specific. You know, you don't want to start calling the remote people the remote people because they instantly feel disconnected and you start thinking of them as disconnected and you start thinking, I don't need to share this information with them because they're so distant and remote. So the list goes on. You just create this laundry list of additional challenges that you get from, let's say, if you were all remote. So you really need a good reason for having those offices. And if you really need them, you need to really make sure that you're, you're focusing in on all of these little nuanced things that can make the communication and the trust and the connection between those teams work.
0: There are some nuances to having a, an entirely remote team. <laughs> I've talked to the, the, the GitLab CEO about this in, in some detail. And one example is the amount of Text based discourse. So, you have so many conversations that are over text, and it can be hard to commute the subtlety of your intentions through text based discourse compared to where you have vocal inflections. So, I've noticed some different strategies for dealing with this. There are some people who communicate over text in a way that completely lacks emotion. And they just try to be impartial and methodical. And there are other people who try to have a supreme level of nuance and try to convey their emotion with more strength. Do you have any preferred approach for how to inject emotion into text or any other nuanced approaches to having productive discourse in a remote team?
1: Well, I'm curious. I, I definitely have an answer, but what, what is your preference as as sort of the receiving end of those messages?
0: I can adapt to either one. I'm kind of like a, I just take the the neural network approach of just waiting till you have enough sample data to really understand how this person interacts. And you you know they send you like reserve judgment until you've got maybe you know two or three or four days of of interaction with them before you really start to feel like you have a barometer for for how their interactions map to, to how their text interactions map to their their actions in in the workplace.
1: Yeah, totally. I, I think you're right, you have to and then this is why it's important when people join remote teams to do a readme. And the readme sort of explains the way of working that they are, what kind of message style they expect to receive all sorts of things that you can sort of write about yourself in the way that you work. So people get that more quickly, which is good. I'm definitely I default to the nuance side. I'm all about sort of conveying emotion as much as possible. A great example I think that I like to use is is take a word like sure, right? <laughs> if you get a message that just says sure compared to a message that says sure with a happy face next to it, they're two completely different messages, Passive right? aggression. You know, without the emote, well is it? It might it be. Could mean- It could mean you're a bit upset or annoyed, or maybe you're burned out. I don't know. I don't know how you're feeling when you just write, sure. But you add that one little emoji next to it, and suddenly I know how you're feeling. I know your spirits are high. I know you're being a team player and you're happy about the task I've assigned you. You know, I I feel good from imagining the smile on your face. There's just so much good that comes out of a single emoji and, and so much information that comes from that. Why wouldn't we use emojis more? So I'm a big fan of using sort of as many emojis in a paragraph as it takes to make sure that messages are never misunderstood. And, and I think emojis get a bad rap. I think a lot of people think uh, it's it's too casual, it's too informal in a business setting, but it's one of the greatest advancements of async communication and text messaging that we ever got. Why not capitalize on, on all of the value that it can bring you? So I also like tools like uh, Loom, not sure if you've used that for screen recordings, Anything that kind of lets you escalate a conversation to a bit of video. And the cool thing about Loom is you can have your face and the screen showing at the same time. So just escalating to a bit of video to help you better express how you're feeling about a topic. Maybe, um, and maybe even you just don't want to type a lot. Sometimes that's nice, but it's a great way to sort of escalate that added emotion without needing the full-on meeting. You know, never escalate to a full-on meeting unless... You're really just not understanding each other through each other's messages. You're really not aligning or, or making a decision because you can't, you can't understand each other. So that's, that's when you escalate to a meeting, but it's nice that you can kind of take this, I'll start with emojis, I'll escalate to some video, some recorded video, and then we can escalate to a meeting if needed. Again, it goes back to empathy. It's so important. To use the nuanced emotion, I think, in all of your communication, because whether it's text or, or screencasts or meetings, just you have to help people understand where you're coming from because you you don't have that in-person interaction and, and, and social cues to pull from. You're the CEO
0: of X-Team. Explain what X-Team does in more detail.
1: So X-Team's a, a fully remote company, which is awesome. And we build these high-performing and on-demand teams Of developers for companies, uh, really of all sizes, but we primarily work with big brands like uh, Riot Games, who builds League of Legends, uh, Fox, Coinbase, uh, Sony, Kaplan, one of the biggest education companies, Beachbody, Fair, I mean, all, all sorts of companies. And we essentially act as an extension of their engineering teams, which helps them scale more quickly. And so we're actually able to build those teams by calling upon this incredible and, and inspiring and active and energizing community which i talked about filled with developers from all over the world 50 more than 50 countries and we've been building that that community over the last decade and it's it just filled with these incredibly skilled and selfless and and humble and and highly motivated people who want to drive their lives forward and and they want to drive projects forward and and they're always inspiring each other every day and so since we put so much focus on giving them sort of energy and, and this rewarding experience, you can, you can really, one of the most rewarding experiences you can have as a developer. And that allows us to build these teams of highly skilled people very easily and, and quickly for our partners.
0: You've been around since 2006. How has the company evolved in that period of time? That's uh, 14 years of evolution of remote work. So what has changed in that period? Yeah, it's interesting. Xteam was
1: actually originally a, a dev agency back in 2006, and so a very successful one as well. You know, We, we actually built the original front end for Twitter, as well as Threadless and, and all sorts of startups from back in that era. We've also been working with, I mentioned Fox. We've been working with them since the start over, over a decade ago, which is really cool. But I think the big shift that came in that history was when we decided to pivot to just focusing on building teams of developers. And this was around the time that Agile was really starting to gain a lot of momentum. And it's, I'm sure as you know, it's very hard to make Agile work in sort of this piecemeal project-based model. You got change requests every week. You know, you got hundred SOWs you're having to deal with. You got these short-term contracts. Agile just doesn't really work uh, f- for for that sort of model. And especially if you want to scale rapidly and, and drive your projects forward. So we did this pretty early on when there were only a few competitors, plenty of them now, You know, plenty of copycats that, that show up every day. But we knew from the start, the thing that was going to separate us and, and the key to it all was going to be the community, right? You can't build these teams rapidly without having a massive network of highly skilled people. And you, and you don't get that massive network without a community that every developer wants to be a part of. And so that's what we really reinvest everything into and and that's what separates us from our comp- our competitors because that's not really their focus and so for a decade now we've we've really tried to just focus constantly on iterating creating that most rewarding community for developers to be a part of and it's something that we continue to focus a lot of effort on and and that's really if you look back on our on our last decade that's that's what we've been just constantly iterating and growing upon
0: what kinds of scalability challenges have you encountered in developing X team and growing it?
1: Yeah, so I think people would assume the biggest challenges would would be around growing that network. But that's probably been the most fun (laughs) sort of challenge. And also one of the easier ones because of the great community we've built. But, you know, it's it's a lot of the little things you don't expect to get into (laughs) that end up being the biggest headaches. I'll give you a great example, you know, like trying to figure out how to send successfully send packages to you know more than 50 countries especially russia or turkey like it's insanely difficult so it actually took a a package that we were sending with some x-team t-shirts to a developer in panama it took him 10 months to get the package because the customs apparently like raided where the package was being held and and they eventually gave it back 10 months later and and it just showed up on the on the next teamers doorstep so i mean these aren't things that when, when you're starting a remote company, you think you're going to have to worry about. Another one that's hard to scale is, is things like retreats, right? No one ever tells you when you start a remote company that you're going to have to organize flying in hundreds of people around the world. No one tells you you're, you're going to have to go through fire Festival, right? And definitely the bigger that these events get, the more challenges that they bring. But thankfully, they're, they're incredibly rewarding experiences. So, so we put a lot of time into those scaling challenges. This year, we're actually trying to do to address the scaling issue is, is doing a multi-location event all on the same weekend, so a bunch of cities around the world all sort of uh, celebrating and, and doing their own retreats together at the same time and, and making a, a remote experience part of that as well. So no matter where you are in the world, you can take part in it and, and try to be as inclusive as possible because I think the more you scale, especially a community, especially a, a people-centered culture the more difficult it becomes to be inclusive and make sure that everyone is getting value from it. So I think that's been the most interesting areas to explore. How can we really push ourselves to be as inclusive as possible?
0: As far as the the business scalability question, this is something I'm pretty curious about because there's traditional perspectives around staffing kinds of businesses where you have companies and you have developers, and you do your best to to match them and and get those companies staffed with great developers. And there's perspectives that maybe this is you know not a, a scalable enough business model, but there are past examples that are extremely successful. Like you 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 could take Accenture for example. It's not the most flashy example, but Accenture is a very successful company. Uh, it is a kind of staffing company. What's the formula for making a strong staffing business?
1: Yeah, I mean, this definitely isn't a market that is going to be dependent on technology. You know, anyone can build one of these, you know, let's say a marketplace or, or a platform that can sell dev staffing. That's why you see a lot of copycats that will show up for six months and disappear. Anyone can do it. So competing on technology isn't really going to help you in this market. You can compete on price. You know, you mentioned Accenture. These are these, or Deloitte, these high-priced consulting companies. That's certainly something you can, you can compete on. But I think the most important thing to compete on and make it successful is, is focusing on trust. You know, above all, what you need is trust to make this model work. Far more important than any, you know, you mentioned matchmaking or, or, or AI algorithm that helps churn out the, the top one whatever percent of, of people these days. What you really need is trust and trust doesn't come easy. You know, it's why Odesk failed and had to change their name. They, they built this reputation of come to Odesk and hire people you won't trust. But, you know, companies can't trust hiring remote people from a marketplace. They want something long-term. You know, they want long-term teams, long-term relationships, and you only get long-term by having developers that you can retain. And you only get developers to stick around by really being their fuel, being their support arm, being everything that they need, giving them everything they need to live that rewarding lifestyle that they're looking for. And so that's the formula really for us. You know, that's how you compete with something like an Accenture. That's how you create a successful business. You need to have the long-term levers in place that allow for trust, reliability, consistency, high dev retention, and, and all of the technology that we've built has really been to just help support that retention piece. So
0: that's where technology actually comes in 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 handy in a lot of ways. So I, I want to know more about the contrast between what you do with X-Team and what these contracting marketplaces do. Like I've worked a lot with Upwork and Fiverr and I'm fascinated by these marketplace businesses partially because the range of talent that you can hire from those places is so diverse. You can hire musicians and artists and virtual reality designers and product designers and 3D artists and all kinds of things. But as you said, the long-term relationship, it's hard to foster a long-term relationship with somebody from one of these contracting websites. And I'm not quite sure why that is, but my experience is, is that when there is somebody else in the loop when there is like an 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 overseer like like you have in the case of x team it's there's more accountability i'm not exactly sure why it is but maybe you could break down your perspective or how these two hiring vectors compare to one another
1: yeah it's interesting and if you've ever had to try like oh sorry if you've ever had to hire something like a designer then you've you've been through that painstaking process of what happened? Where did they go? Why did they disappear? Or why is it so hard to get them to stick around for longer than two weeks? And that's just because that there are certain trades and there are certain marketplaces out there that are just focused on sort of I need to get as many projects and volume as possible to make a living because I'm not getting a full-time sort of pay somewhere. And so that's that's the beauty of what X-Team resolves, is it makes that freelancer lifestyle a lot more predictable. You know, they know that there's going to be work for them. They know it's going to be full-time work. They know that even if a project ends, something that we do that none of our competitors do is we'll actually offer them a three-month runway to work with us on internal projects. And we'll keep looking for a new team for them to join. So that's, that's something you, you don't really find. And again, it goes, goes back to how people-centered we are. We want to, anyone who's adding value to our company, we want to give that value back and 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 keep them around and that kind of stuff. So it's it's really about stability. You can't expect reliability when they don't have stability. When they are jumping and juggling projects and and having to deal with the getting the payments and and you know chasing down <laughs> chasing down all the people who didn't pay them. I mean they're taking on so much overhead and extra work that even if you're on Upwork and you have some of that taken care of, you you still don't have reliability and long-term effectiveness. So that's what we give and and allows these teams to really add as much value as they can. That's all they have to focus on every day. It's just adding value to the teams that they're on. And that's, again, what I said is, is the most beautiful thing about remote work, about remote teams. And it only works when you put that stability piece in place.
0: The developers that you get for X team, what's the process for finding them and screening them and onboarding them and and integrating them with the organization.
1: Yeah, so finding them it's it's really more about how do they find us? And you know, we have teams of recruiters that are going out there and doing all that kind of stuff, but we're also doing a lot of awareness campaigns and we're involved in a lot of the right local communities all over the world we're, we're doing a lot of good sponsorships we're collaborating with a lot of great influencers we're trying to be thought leaders on our blog and on social media so all of the big marketing engine stuff that you need is there but more often what happens is that they find us before we find them and i think it's because x team is so unique you know because the experience and the value and the excitement of our brand and our community it's 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 very unique it's it's something that's hard to put into words which is what people who join often say and and it resonates very well so that word of mouth really spreads quite rapidly and so we're really grateful to get to meet so many awesome developers from all over the world every day and and to your question of you know how do you integrate them obviously we have a whole onboarding process and uh, a lot of different things that help them become a part of the community as uh, as quickly as possible but also start Sort of living the X team lifestyle as quickly as possible, and and becoming a part of something bigger than themselves. I think that's that's the other piece on top of stability that you see more commitment out of people when they feel part of something bigger. And you don't really get that in a marketplace. You don't feel part of something bigger. You feel very isolated, and you know you you're just on your own. Here, you really feel like you're coming into something that feels like belonging. Feels like you were meant to sort of be there because you you have this sort of warm welcome that happens. That that really drives you
0: forward. And when you're interacting with companies, so companies come in, maybe it's like Fox or Coinbase, they come in, they need developer help. What's the process of integrating with those companies and onboarding the developer into those companies?
1: Yeah, usually you would think it would be a lot more complex. And, And for some companies, it is. Obviously, if you have a lot of uh, security issues and, and you need to send out laptops specifically company laptops and things like that there's obviously each company has their own sort of access levels and, and concerns and all of that or, or you know working with with a smaller company it's you're working on day one which is great so it really varies depending on each company but we, we, it's usually a pretty smooth process and, and really the biggest thing that we come in with and, and direct all X teamers on is, Your goal on day one is to add immediate value. And hopefully you saw that as well from your experience. It's really about if we're going to onboard our goal from day one is to just get in there, add value and keep adding value every single day after that. So that's the most important piece. And even if, you know, we don't have a laptop yet, let's say the company needs to send us a laptop. we're we're still trying to find ways to add value regardless. You know, maybe we can start reading some docs. Maybe we can start updating those docs. Maybe we can, whatever it is, how can you add value? So that's, that's really what, what our ramp up period is all about.
0: And I'm also curious just about the internal organization of X team and how you've grown the, the management team. How many, levels to the org chart there are and and just general tips you have for scaling a remote organization. Tell me about some of the the procedural things that you do to to grow the workforce and to make sure that the the proper management strictures and culture remains in place?
1: So I think the like any company, and even more so in a remote setting, the initial sort of gut feeling is to make it as flat as possible. And that lasts a long time. Uh, eventually you are gonna need some structure. So there, although our org chart is, is still pretty flat, there's definitely structure to it. it you know, there's still middle management and all that kind of stuff. But the big difference with the remote teams is that again, it goes back to trust. You know, The biggest difference that I see is that we're not, we're trying to start with trust give us a reason not to trust you is sort of more of the path to take as opposed to the more office culture of, I need to, again, see butts and chairs and fingers on keys. We don't trust you. You know, we're going to lock the, we're going to lock the uh, snacks cabinet and and you have to come get a key to open it. That kind of approach of, we don't really trust you. and, And that's why we're putting as much management sort of levels and layers in place as possible to keep you accountable. So in a remote team because trust is so important because we can't see each other because we're again focused on just adding value every day and that's all that matters you do tend to have less management tiers and all of that because there's so much more trust in place that said you're still going to need some sort of level of it to to keep accountability going and to make sure that uh, you know all the teams are moving forward and and you just have to have some levels of it levels of it but you're going to find a lot more trust giving in a remote team
0: because you simply have to have it to succeed do you think that this experience we're having now with the coronavirus and causing everybody to to work remotely do you think this is gonna set a new baseline for how much remote work is done
1: yeah this is a this is a very (laughs) timely time to be talking about remote work and I think there's two ways I see this going. It can either be a big step forward for remote work, or it's gonna actually be a big step backward. And so I think most people are thinking right now, it's gonna be the big step forward, right? You know, This is finally gonna show companies and, and managers that, hey, look, remote work's great. Hey, look, in March, we, we had way more velocity on our projects because we were working from home and I didn't have to commute four hours in San Francisco. So the expectation everyone has right now is that this is it, we're finally here. This is gonna unlock. The future of remote, But it could also go the other way. You know, it could be a huge step back because think about it. You have a lot of companies being forced to do something that they have no idea how to do, that they are not ready for, that they haven't even considered, that, you know, they haven't trained people how to build trust, how to actively communicate, how to stay energized at home. You know, I'm seeing tweets of people saying they can't stop snacking (laughs) now that they have to work from home and, and, and they're afraid of getting fat. I mean, Maybe they there are other people saying, I can't start my day because I'm, I'm used to taking a drive or other people saying, I can't focus because the kids are in the other room. These are all challenges with very simple solutions, but no company <laughs> was prepared for these challenges. So there's that potential for a lot of negative backlash, a lot of people coming back to the office in April, May, let's say, and saying, well, glad that's over with. We can finally get back to work. That's what I'm afraid of. And so if companies are actually less productive because they don't know what they're doing, that could be a step back. And and we saw this happen with Odesk, you know, five to 10 years ago, or Upwork as it's called now. But the remote work reputation was really scarred by Odesk. It was something, it was a a reputation of, well, remote work is for low skilled people, low English abilities, poor quality work. That's what you're going to get from hiring remote. And so we've had to spend the last five to seven years changing the remote reputation and showing that you can actually bring premium quality people from all over the world and build great remote teams. So what we're seeing right now, it's starting off very positive And I, I really, truly hope it stays that way. I, you know, I hope a lot of people get freed from the <laughs> chains of their offices and that a lot of companies start <laughs> coming our way for help. That'd be great. Another thing I'm worried about that I don't think anyone's thinking about is and I'm already starting to see it on LinkedIn, we're going to see the, the new age version of social media gurus popping up. Now we've got the remote work gurus who are just spreading bad advice. And so if companies start following the bad advice, that's not helping us stay, take a step forward. So I'm hoping the remote work community, like myself, we're trying to put a lot of good thought leadership out there into the social world now to, to help steer people in the right direction So again, I'm excited about what's happening. I'm excited the timeline of remote work is speeding up, hopefully, and it's all very exciting, but, and it's mostly positive so far. So I hope it
0: stays that way. What's the bad advice that is coming from the remote work gurus?
1: Oh, I'll give you a great example. We're seeing a lot of interesting tools suddenly emerge that are trying to make the remote work experience as much like an office as possible. So, Probably the most terrifying feature I saw was the ability to instantly call someone and have their, and, and the other line instantly picks up. So the, the point is to try to recreate walking to, over to someone's desk and bothering them essentially. So, I mean, these, these sorts of things are, are scaring me. If, if that becomes the norm, no one's going to want to work remote because we're not trying to recreate the office experience in every way possible.
0: Yeah, that's kind of one thing I, I've i really appreciated about working remotely is that I can have that dedicated isolation time and, and not have, uh, kind of have a just programmatic way of not being tapped on the shoulder or interrupted. Assuming that the culture does move more heavily in the direction of remote work, how do you think the rest of the culture will change as remote work becomes more commonplace? The rest of which culture specifically, the world, I mean, you know if you if you get more like data entry jobs becoming remote work as well as perhaps a majority of developer jobs or or half or or a, a large minority,
1: yeah, so I, the world will change in a lot of good ways and in a lot of challenging ways. And these are things that we've seen. These are things that we've seen evolving over the last decade. The the good things are people become a lot more empowered. They spend more time with their families. They're more energized. They're more happy. Uh, A lot of of good things come from that. And you actually end up, a cool um, example is actually the local impact that I'm seeing among X-teamers. They spend a lot more time finding ways to add value to their local community because they have the freedom to finally do so. And so they're, you know, they're giving talks, they're giving workshops, they're helping all the people that are less fortunate in their community to learn how to code and, and, and grow their careers. And it inspires me. Like just the other day, I, I went and found a bunch of oranges and, and helped donate them to, to the local shelter just because it, it makes you want to do something with the, the, the time and the flexibility that you have. So a lot of good things are going to come from it when you have the global workforce empowered like that. Obviously, there's the downsides, and we've talked about them already, things like isolation, things like um, you know needing to solve a lot of the focus challenges that actually come from, let's say you, your family works uh, with you at home. There's a lot of challenges that will need to be figured out, and it's going to take it's taken us a decade to figure them out, so it's going to take another decade for everyone else to jump on board with us. But absolutely, I think for the most part, it's going to be primarily uh, a lot of positive things, so long as Companies are focused on solving the isolation issue for their people.
0: And I don't know if you want to go into your the isolation question you had right there, maybe? Well, sure. I mean, I, I, the isolation question to me is one of the most fundamental issues with remote work. I mean, I, I'm for me, it's it's been sort of a slow burn as as time has gone on, I've just increasingly become aware of of how problematic the isolation can be, because there's a sense in which, I feel like I'm, I don't want to say addicted to my work, but uh, it's just so easy. It's just so easy to kind of sit at home in front of your computer and do knowledge work for somebody who really likes to read, who really likes to write, who really likes to do creative work. There's no pressure from the economic world, from the outside world. I don't have my parents calling me and telling me to go and join a running group or, or to go to church or something like uh, or to go to school to go to an office and so I just sort of sit here for years and years and like I'm I'm active (laughs) like I get outside and I go to the gym and stuff but there's definitely a deficiency and and I this to me seems like pretty difficult because it's just it's it's a very slow chronic burn and have you endured that have you have you kind of gone through that that set of issues yourself? Absolutely.
1: Especially when you're single, it is amplified significantly. And I'm not sure, are you single? Uh,
0: I'm, I'm not, but I, I've, okay. I've, yes, I've gone through through both. Bo- I mean, they both have their, their issues. But yeah, I, I would say yes, definitely. It's, it's, it's even worse when you're completely isolated. Exactly.
1: So I've lived them all. I've done the single life. I've done the married life. I've done the traveling uh, around the world, nomad while married life. I've done the living in a, in a home life, which is what I'm doing now. So I've experienced them all. I totally agree that uh, you can get addicted to work. That happens regardless of where you are in the world. I think the most depressing version is when you are a nomad or, or traveling, trying to capitalize on your freedom to travel and you're sitting in. In, in your Airbnb in London, let's say, and you're just, you can't pull the laptop away. And here is all of this great freedom that you have to go explore a new city and, and, and take advantage of this amazing opportunity that everyone sitting in an office back at home wishes they could do. And you're, you're glued to your laptop and you can't turn it off because you're just, you need more dopamine hits. And that's the unfortunate part. There's, like you said, there's no one telling you to stop. And so I think it's, There's a shared responsibility involved here. I think there's our responsibility as companies to give a huge amount of support and funding to our teams to make it so that they have absolutely no excuse to isolate themselves, to make it so they have no excuse to be living in a dungeon, essentially. You know, I think that's our side of the responsibility, endless support, whatever it takes to help them. But it's a shared responsibility because, like you said, there's no one there necessarily telling you. And so if... If that's not there, let's say it is there, in our case, we, we, we put a lot of that support there, but ultimately they need to be the one who takes the step out the door. They need to be the one who actually signs up for that co-working membership that we'll pay for, or signs up to go to that meetup that we'll pay for, or go on a date, we'll even pay for that, or go on a weekend getaway, we'll pay for that too. Ultimately though, it's on them to do something with that support, to take action. And the worst, this is where it gets so challenging because loneliness, once it grabs hold of you, the last thing you want to do is take action. You go into the depressed state, you don't want to do anything. And so this, this is the thing that I I fear the most when you, when you talked about, you know, the global culture, what's the impact going to be? If you don't have that community in your life that is supporting you and encouraging you to take the action, you're just going to get gripped to where you will never want to take action. And you're that guy in London, like I was probably at some point, <laughs> glued to the computer. And so thankfully no X-teamer has reached that point that I'm aware of because we create those opportunities. We, we create videos that inspire. We create events and, and energy that we put into their lives and we give them the funding and the encouragement and we even do one-on-one chats anytime they want. So it all adds up to a lot of motivation that encourages you to take that action. And, and I think we need every single company that offers remote to be doing the same.
0: Well put. What's the long-term vision for X team? How does the company look in the limit?
1: So, the vision really it's sort of twofold, right? We've got the developer side and the company side. And the developer side of the vision came from sort of what I just talked about, that living the remote lifestyle for the last decade. So, I've like I said, I've lived every version of it and there's sort of nothing worse than the default remote lifestyle. If if you don't tweak anything, (laughs) it can be very de-energizing. And I think that's the one thing that the offices have over us, is that they have that consistent sort of energy that you get when you go into them. And what all of the lifestyles that you find in remote right now, they all lack that consistent feeling of energy. And so, you know, you you don't want to be part of a lifestyle where you're not learning, you're not growing, you're not exploring, you're not taking care of your health, you're not capitalizing on the freedom you have, all because that energy isn't there. So the vision on the developer side is really about creating this lifestyle that is a subset of the remote lifestyle, that's a tweak on the remote lifestyle. And it's a lifestyle that's rooted in living active, living energized. And we've really centered our community around this. It's been Really inspiring to watch. You know, I literally wake up every day just today. I woke up to tons of messages of of ex-teamers reporting in on, you know, all the ways that they're learning and exploring and growing and and staying active and staying fit and eating healthy, being awesome parents, doing great things in their community like I talked about or mentoring people. I mean, it's it's very inspiring when you see all that positive energy coming out. And it makes you want to leave the sa- live the same, you know, it makes you want to sort of squeeze as much value and life out of each day that you can. And so that's the vision for our developer side to, to create that lifestyle and, and keep making it better and better and, and not sort of just being content with the default remote lifestyle that is out there today. So that's the vision, vision for the developer side. For the business side, it plays right into it because then the goal is to give companies teams of people that live that lifestyle, who live active, who live energized, who live to drive themselves and their projects forward, who, and you get these companies ending up with these super energized forward-moving teams because they have all of the right sort of culture and energy behind them. And they have that excitement of being part of something bigger than themselves, like I talked about. So I think remote work gets criticized too much for being, like we talked about, isolating, low energy, hard to shut off work. And we're trying to show the world that it can be far, far more rewarding than that.
0: Ryan, thanks for coming on the show. It's been great talking to you.
1: It's been awesome. Thanks so much.